0: This podcast is offered through the Sacred Community Project, an interspiritual collective working to lower the barriers of access to contemplative and devotional practices. Through the universal teachings of love, service, remembrance, and truth, SCP utilizes modern technology to promote eternal values. Learn more at sacredcommunityproject.org. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Community Project. I'm Today's host, Sita Ram Das. We actually have a really special conversation that was recorded between Sarah Anderson and Kenneth Robinson. And what makes this interesting is that both Sarah and Kenneth are licensed therapists. And for a period of eight years, Kenneth was actually Sarah's therapist. So it's a really beautiful and lovely conversation. And they touch on some incredible themes seemingly covering the entire realm of the human experience. And there seems very little separation between the sacred and the mundane or the spiritual and the psychological. And so even though there's a conversation between two therapists, uh, really, in my mind, it's a spiritual conversation. And a lot of what they're discussing would fall in the realm of transpersonal therapy. One thing Kenneth states in the interview, uh, which is a really lovely quote, is "freedom is not a luxury, ecstasy is not an indulgence." But what I also found compelling and inspiring about this conversation was the seeming egolessness of their truth-telling. So, both of them convey a certain degree of openness and freedom in the. Ease of their sharing about difficult or taboo topics. And Sarah specifically talks quite openly about her journey with Kenneth as her therapist. And she is quite candid about some of the projections that happen along the way, some of the pitfalls. Um, and she's clearly doing this uh, because she's done a lot of work and uh, has a certain effortlessness in her humility. Uh, but also she's really clearly uh, talking about this to create a lens where they could talk about what makes for a healing relationship. And that is the piece of of why I wanted to share this conversation on the SCP podcast, because um, that piece of a healing relationship, that's not just specific to the relationship between someone and their therapist. That's very present in all types of relationships, whether it's romantic or in family relationships or with a spiritual teacher. And uh, Sarah herself says about this, my intention behind asking Kenneth to create this conversation was to demonstrate a healing relationship. For me, the Western medical model too often objectifies patients and clients rather than humanizing both the healer and the receiver. Sitting with Kenneth for eight years, with some breaks, was transformative because I felt seen and heard in a new way. And my desire to help others was strengthened in this context of learning what it feels like to be truly safe in the world.
1: So, hey, Kenneth.
2: Hi, Sarah. Good to be with you.
1: You too. So the reason I wanted to do this video with you, this conversation is to have some kind of a record, I guess, of um, my own healing process and then how I've translated that into the work that I do with clients in therapy and the mysterious stuff that happened in between. um, Mm That um, I started seeing you in 2009 i believe or maybe 2008 2009 Mm -hmm. um started off at a hope and healing workshop with you and linda manning at the vanderbilt center for integrative health and then um i remember seeing you like walking into the room at that work that first workshop and going like that guy looks really free like he just there's something about him like he just looks really free and didn't really know what that meant, but I registered something and um, went through the group, which was really beautiful. And then I think maybe a few months later, I reached out to work with you individually, which I had already been working with a couple of people. Um, but the main thing I was bringing was like really deep depression and right. suicidal thoughts, like the whole, the whole nine. Um, and I think what was most healing in our relationship was the fact that I felt like I could be myself. I like I felt like mm-hmm. for the first time I felt totally authentic and like nothing was judged. Uh, the non-judgment was like deeper than I could have even imagined really. It was like and I remember you like looking straight, looking at me straight in the eyes on one of our first sessions. And you were like, that is really hard. Like just about some story I was telling. And I w- it was just like, I fell apart because you saw it, you know, you acknowledged it. And it felt like invisible up to that point. It was like, whoa, like I've been recognized here. And then it just went from there. Like, so many tears. I always tell people, like it was like 18 swimming pools of tears. Like it was so much grief that I didn't even know where it came from. You know, maybe it was ancestral grief. I don't know. But mm. there was a huge piece of like just years of grief, basically. And yeah. um and then sort of a building, like a gradual building process. Um And I also want to say that I ran away quite a few times during this like eight years that I worked with you because it was terrifying to be seen in that way. And it's just terrifying work. So that's something maybe I want to talk about too. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Is there anything you want to say about that?
2: I want to say something about the project itself, just your willingness, your desire to reveal these things about yourself and about psychotherapy and so that other people can benefit from it. Um, you've always struck me as having a universal heart and a, a heart of a helper and, uh, Someone who's always wanting to expand her consciousness, and I'm just to really appreciate this offering that you're wanting to make. And then, secondly, just about you know that that decision to to dive in to the pain like you did that's uh, that's hard for all of us uh, at any stage in the journey, but especially starting out and there being so much unknown and so many feelings that are going on that we don't know where they're coming from, hard to understand, but then to just stay with it. And like you said, you know, the important thing, especially at the beginning is to be seen and heard, uh, which uh, unfortunately uh, is a rare thing because we so, we're just kind of built to protect ourselves through denying trauma and uh, both, you know, as a society and, and personally. And so just to break through that barrier to where we can go, uh, I think something happened to me. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and persistence, as you say, and running and coming back.
1: <laughs> and, and hitting rock bottom. Yeah. Might be necessary, I don't know. Uh, so
2: yeah. some kind of bottom.
1: Some kind of bottom. Some
2: kind of, it's not working, some kind of, there's more to me than what I think there is.
3: Right, right.
1: Um, so, in working with clients now, these days, um, this is really my primary motive is to see people, to really, to witness people and to hold them kind of in the way that I was held, like to pay that forward. And I'll literally tell like most people that story that I just told, um, because I, I really want us to be on equal footing. And I feel like there's so much in the medical model that's kind of putting the therapist or the doctor, whoever, the expert in this role of knowing everything, when you don't know everything, you, you just met the person, (laughs) you know, like you don't, you don't know them at all. So, um, I really want to be humble in that space. And, um, I think that is actually hard for people sometimes. I mean, in the same way, it was hard for me to be seen. It's like, Oh, you want me to just be a hundred percent real and be myself? Like, Whoa, that's, kind of a big ask (laughs) that's right Yeah. um,
2: we don't even know always how to do that at the beginning right what that even means it has to be like you say that that non-judgment has to be there so that things can begin to arise that I've been judging I as the client have been judging often severely
1: yeah right Right. So I guess I want to ask, like, maybe you don't remember specifically, but I know it's happened to you with other clients too, like that that running away or that like you're doing it wrong or some kind of like reactive process that happens. Like, how do you cope with that as a therapist?
2: Oh, I think at first I get scared, Uh, you know, are, are they okay? is the person okay were you okay and then also i uh get my feelings hurt uh, <laughs> and then the questioning you know oh did i go too fast did i was i not tuned in did i miss something you know i think you go through all that uh and then also with uh the background being that um This is how it is with trauma. We can't do everything at once. We have to go toward it, be able to back away from it. Also, to give you your freedom, it is up to you when any of that happens. Uh, It is not helpful for me to try and force you into it. What I'm trying to do is create an environment that is attractive enough And interesting enough and safe enough for you to go into it and want to come back to it. You know, knowing that um, just intimacy itself is hard, revealing ourselves to another person is difficult under any circumstances, especially when we're going into areas that we don't, we're not even all that familiar with ourselves.
1: Right. And I'll say for, as a client, like there were times when maybe I needed to grow on my own. Like maybe I was like a, like an individuation moment or it was like, I need to just do this myself. And which, you know, who knows what the developmental age was at that point, but maybe it was something that, um, that was helpful in some ways, especially to be able to come back and not be judged yet again,
3: you know?
2: It really is a developmental place because, uh, there are points like, first, there's the is it safe? Can I trust this person? Once we begin to feel like maybe I can, and then we start depending on the other person, counting on them, that's a scary place. Mm -hmm. That may be something that's rarely been done, you know, and there's fear and, uh, kind of, uh, a protective feeling resistance to that and uh, there's just a period that we go through where we need to have that dependence that maybe we aren't able to, pe- to depend on anybody right. uh, and then there comes that point like you're saying where it's like okay with growth I've also got to know that I've got myself too and it's not just uh, all about the person who's trying to help me it's you know i want, my life is mine and i want it for mine
1: yeah i guess we're talking about attachment and different like attachment wounds and they all look a little different um yeah so one text i know you teach from a lot is steven johnson's character styles and right. um the you call it the earth seeker type and he calls it the schizoid type, but it's the personality that kind of has like the, the earliest wounding, like infant or maybe even, you know, pre-birth yeah. kind of wounding. And so I, even though probably we all have elements of all the personality styles, like I identify with that one most. And I feel like, attachment is so dicey for that one (laughs) that there yeah there is something so terrifying about it that the running away the the running away is an absolute necessity um and but to see like will you still be there when i come back like i must run away but you better still be there when i come back (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) that's right yes that you don't have to surrender yourself in order to have the other person. I mean, that's an experience that we have. It's like, I've got to lose me in some ways to keep my caregivers, protectors, mother, father, whatever, you know. And uh, to be able to keep ourselves and still have the connection is the healing.
1: Still working on that one, Kenneth.
2: Me too. <laughs> Me too.
1: <laughs> it helps that you agreed to do this project, to be <laughs> honest. Yeah. In what way? Because I was like, is he really gonna say yes to this? Maybe because uh, I, you know, I moved to Hawaii. I moved away from your mm, the healing community I was a part of through working with you and it um I don't know. I I think it was maybe part of this, um, attachment healing
2: right that you could move away be uh, be far away and we could still be connected yeah
1: yeah so thank you
2: <laughs> gladly and I would love for you to get into uh, that's maybe for a later time but the importance of that move because I think that was really significant
1: well yeah I can get into it with respect to the earth seeker type. Yeah. And I love that you renamed all the character styles to in a healthy way of like, what is this person longing for kind of a thing. Right. And I mean, I, there's no better place for an earth seeker than Hawaii. <laughs> um You know, how I got here is complicated, but um doesn't really matter as much as being here. And I don't know. I just feel like the the Mother Earth just has her arms wrapped around me like 24-7 here. And I want to say I've, maybe I've started to take it for granted, but I don't think I have. There's still moments of just like, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be in this place. where I just feel held, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um and, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of a miracle how I got here because <laughs> it was not it was not planned, but it was it felt like really necessary um, So that's all I can say about that
2: <laughs> Say it again
1: that's all I can say about that right now,
2: yeah, I just uh you know when I think about. These early wounds and attachment wounds and, uh, is it safe to be here? Do I belong here? Am I good? Is this world good? And, uh, if there's, if there are problems at the earliest stages, it's, that's not at all clear to the being or to the body that it's safe and uh and it often it doesn't feel like people are safe yeah and when when that's true when you can't really get the sense of holding and belonging through another person uh you know a lot of times people look to uh animals to pets to uh the natural world to uh uh the flower world and like you said about Hawaii talk about uh, a holding uh, in in beauty uh, in warmth in uh, power uh, in this sense of my needs are met yeah.
0: you know
2: that I have uh, what I need here and that and when just the earth itself or the environment itself, can offer that. That's kind of the beginning, and the and the place where you can uh, kind of find your feet, and then move more into uh, human connection.
1: Yeah, and I think where I am right now is like I'm building a relationship with my own inner inner baby. Is <laughs> yeah. how it feel. It's like this very intense, like cathartic healing that's been happening um, lately, maybe post pandemic, it's really, really set in. Um, and yeah, I do. I mean, as I'm consciously doing this healing process, I am like, I hope at some point this will translate into like intimacy with people, which has not been my, my forte, you know? Um, it's like, I, I love my friends and yeah, there is like keeping people at arm's length, happens just because it has to. Yeah. Um, but I don't like it, you know. I I would prefer it to be different. So I have an awareness that it's it's something inside me. I have, I can't be afraid of myself, right? I have to somehow surrender to that early fear and and accept it and forgive it, you know, um like being my own mama in a sense. Um, in order to feel safe with others. Yeah.
2: And the ocean is not judging me, and the right. light is not judging me.
3: Right.
2: And the uh, the stones are not. And they can meet me. I can come out and meet them, and that, that it can't always be. The other person doesn't always meet us, or we're not able to come out and meet them.
1: Yes. Um, This is making me think of a John Paracos workshop I did like years ago in New York City, uh, the founder of Core Energetics. But he said something like I was up there working and I don't know what I was doing, but he said something like everybody has a piece of this in them. So this existential terror, let's call it, you know, there, even though maybe that's my primary thing, like everybody's got some of it, so that makes me feel like, well, I'm not alone, you know, um, and working this is important, you know, it's just it's important and that, that weirdly makes me feel like I belong.
2: That's right, that you're not the only one who's grappling with this. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, that's another thing about this particular kind of wounding where you feel like a stranger in a strange land, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, do I, is this even where I was supposed to end up <laughs> here, here on earth in this family, in this society? You know, and the, those are real questions for all of us. And, uh, and yeah, there's, there's nobody. Uh, I mean, the people can, uh, go a lifetime without asking themselves these questions but there's nobody who doesn't have this to uh waiting on them you know if they, <laughs> if they inquire.
1: Mhm. Yeah, so in some weird way like even though I do feel disconnected socially a lot of the times I feel existentially connected. Yeah. <sighs> to people and i love that place that like existential wounding because it is universal and i can see it you know and wrap my arms around it in others and that way you know it continues to heal me when i can witness that place in others and be like nope you're safe don't ask me how i know but i know you are (laughs) yeah yeah we all
2: want safety we all all want to feel like we're loved we all want to feel like we own ourselves, and we have uh, sovereignty in that way.
1: Yeah. So do you feel like healing others continues to heal you?
2: Mm. No question about it. I learn something every day. That's the part of the joy of the work. Uh, I can't escape myself. (laughs) <laughs> right you know a person brings a place where there is uh uh great pain and uh uh if i don't i if i don't go there with them uh i'm not doing my job i can't help them heal now, if i do go there with them i get healed in the process it it never ch- i mean it happened today just around uh uh, severe childhood trauma and the uh, whole sense of, let's see if I can just call it up, because it's it was really emotional for us both. Well, it was around, it happened. It was another layer of it happened. This was childhood sexual abuse. And uh, uh, there was she was able to say today I was tortured as a very hard thing to to own. And when you do own it, you know, just the word, I mean, there's grief with that. And she said she'd been crying for a few days after our last session. That was the good news. That she was grieving what that her child self had been through and what it had cost her. And that was the other part of it is just there are losses to be grieved. And it's so like for me, it reveals places where, okay, have I actually really grieved uh, those losses in me? Mm hmm. And uh, oftentimes it opens up a new, some new territory where there is more to do.
1: Yeah, I have the same experience every day. In fact, like I take these, I take little breaks after every session to like process what happened because I want to catch up with myself. And if I don't do that, yeah, that's just an important part of my, my process. Yeah.
2: Oh, yes, there is. Uh, I mean, once you've gone through the session, you've you've gone through your emotional journey, too. And the integration is uh, important and uh, helps us come back to ourselves while we're helping somebody else.
1: Yeah, and to be fully present for the next person. Um.
2: Well, that's right.
1: <laughs> uh. Is there anything else you want to share about anything we've talked about?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just thinking about the the body aspect. I mean, a lot of my work is very uh, body-centered, somatic psychology, breath, uh, body awareness, uh, enactment. And I know you do that, too and uh, in terms of the schizoid or the earth-seeking child one of the key things is embodiment because embodiment is what we escape from when we are in great pain and great fear dissociation is one of the primary uh, defenses that we have kind of a mental leaving of ourselves and leaving our bodies so that we don't have to remain in the terror, or in the pain. Mm-hmm. And so to come back to the body is to come back to the earth. Uh, we touch the earth so we can feel our bodies, but also by being in our bodies, we uh, have more connection to the earth. We more have ab- more connection to other people. We're more able to, Uh, know what our boundaries are, because we're listening to our bodies, so we're not just ignoring the information our body's receiving around whether it's safe or when we've been hurt or insulted or any of those things. And uh, through the embodiment, we just have more information to make the best choices for ourselves as long as we're in a more dissociated state, it's safer in the sense that uh, we're not as overwhelmed. Or, if, you know, it's both things. It's, it's evidence of our overwhelm. And it's also a way of coping with the overwhelm, you know, to just be separate from ourselves in some ways. So one of the things we're trying to do is come back to um in a body. I belong in a body. There is pleasure to be had in my body. There is, uh, in fact, the experience of pleasure, one of the things about being in Hawaii, there are many pleasures for the body on the island, right? And so that's the way to invite ourselves back into our bodies is, hey, there's pleasure to be had, not just pain or uh um, Uh, anxiety
1: yeah yeah that's my biggest anxiety management tool is is the ocean uh, and dancing the ocean and dancing um because yeah i could get like extreme pleasure of just those two things it's like i'm totally in bliss it's so happy to be alive and the rest of life is complicated (laughs) but um but yeah this Things sustain me, for sure.
2: And just the experience of bliss is kind of this uh, signal is there is there are other possibilities. There are other ways to live. There, are, There's something to uh, receive from other people and from the world.
1: Yeah. Do you still use that slogan, I guess? <laughs> Not slogan, but you you say ecstasy is not an indulgence, bliss is, what is it? I forgot.
2: Yeah, it's uh, freedom is not a luxury. Ecstasy is not an indulgence.
1: Yeah, see, that, that makes you different. Because, <laughs> 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 um, well,
2: you know, I'm glad you're bringing that up. I mean, I am guided by the ecstasy. It's like it's not like we can make ecstasy happen uh, so much as my suspicion grows more and more that we are ecstatic beings. You know, the the trauma, the experience, the pains of the world, we contract or we separate sometimes, but uh, that the child in uh, his or her natural state Uh, has access to bliss, that unified sense, uh, that sense of I'm a part of this whole thing and it's all interconnected. And that's part of the safety is that experience of, oh, this is all interrelated because the trauma gives us that sense of separation, alienation, difference. And so when you have an experience of bliss, like in dance, it's like, that's a knowing uh, in the body uh, of the truth, of our interrelatedness.
3: yeah
2: And it's when and it's when we're in a lot of fear and we are in defense that we sometimes lose that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the bliss uh, the bliss is uh, kind of a, a signal that there's much more to me than my woundedness
1: right? yeah and it's a it's a sign of healing i think like if someone begins to feel that um, because it makes life worth living and that permission is something that i seek to give people to which i learned from you <laughs> I learned, I had it validated by you, I guess,
3: Mm.
1: over and over, over many years. And it was like, no, that is what you want, you know, and that, um, that is what everybody wants. Yeah. And it's like, so freeing to identify that, like that's healing. Um, because I think there are so many mental versions of what healing is that can just that are really not true. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, and you know it's ecstasy, it's not positive thinking. It's not don't worry, be happy. Ecstasy mm-hmm. is, is an opening. it's uh, <laughs> it's allowing all of ourselves. It's allowing all those feelings and as we allow all those feelings. Sadness, anger, hate, rage, hurt, uh, disappointment, insult, um, uh, sexual desire, um, joy. It's not leaving out any feelings.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: It's not ecstasy, good, sadness, bad. Ecstasy contains sadness and grief and,
1: uh, and anger yeah which is why i feel like validation as as simple as a tool as it seems to be maybe clinically is kind of everything you know it's like yeah every part of you is okay and 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 sacred and holy in fact and yeah i feel like sometimes i get feedback from clients like this is too simple we're just having a conversation, you know, and, um, like you said, that it does hurt my feelings sometimes that I also yeah, realize that if you've spent a lifetime feeling invalidated or invalidating yourself and someone's just sitting there saying, Nope, that's okay. Nope. That's okay too. It starts to feel really dangerous and, um, some nice. pushback would be actually expected. Yeah. So
2: just a way of saying, uh, "I'm scared." <laughs> <laughs> in so many ways, we have to, we have to honor that. But um, uh, yeah, that's a that's a whole topic about all the kinds of things that happen in therapy. You know, people talk about therapy is rent a friend or something like that, and that's <laughs> that's just a huge. Signal of not much exposure or awareness or understanding of what's going on because the world's going on in in a psychotherapy session.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a there's a lot happening right now in terms of I don't know, like Gabor Mate and people like really bringing trauma informed um, care to the forefront which is very cool and at the same time people start getting very mental about it like well let's do this trauma-informed treatment in six weeks and um let's bring out my inner child and heal her like right now yeah because i've been told that's what needs to happen it's like yes and it, it may take many many years you know um a lifetime and nobody wants to hear that
2: that's right That's right. And uh, one moment of genuine connection can be transformative, right? One moment where you feel like uh, the therapist is being authentic and I'm being authentic. And sometimes in therapy is the first time anybody experiences that. Uh, and if not the first time, maybe one of the few times they've experienced it as fairly reliable. And we'll miss, you know, where it's it's uh, there's no way to do our work perfectly because it's a it's an ongoing experiment, but we know where we're where we're trying to get to. and uh, and one of those places is just, Uh, one human being meets another uh, without uh, judgment, without barriers, or without trying to take advantage of, get the upper hand, use the other person, where uh, we're both sitting here together as uh, free beings, trying to get freer, trying to know that freedom.
1: Yeah, which um, reminds me of Stephanie Fu and her therapist Jacob Hom which is kind of what gave me the idea to create this video in the first place. Um, She's a a journalist who wrote a book about recovering from complex trauma and um, a lot of her journey included like trying to find the right therapist and and when she finally met Jacob Hom it was like there's something authentic here there's something real like he exposes his vulnerability he exposes how much he cares about her and how hurt he is by the things that happened to her and like, oh, I messed up there. And um, and it's almost like she did a lot of important work before she met him, but that was sort of the turning point, it seemed, seems to me. I don't want to put words mm. in my mouth, but um, yeah, just that authentic connection and like she had been searching and searching for it. Um.
2: Yeah. And there's just that part, uh, you know, uh, you can be with somebody who's a psychotherapist, who's a good person, uh, has some things to offer, but, uh, you know, not be that match that uh, we need, that we can't even, we couldn't even name all the things that that person would be. But we just began to know, oh, yeah, this is. This is uh, what I need. Something about what happens between us is is nourishing and free.
1: Yeah, and the the breath work element that you bring um, was so vital to me. It was absolutely essential in terms of what you were saying before about embodiment and yeah. like it's almost like I've just been holding my breath my entire life, and to to breathe is like a like a revolution or something <laughs> that's right.
2: <laughs> it is and you know we don't know it's it's an unconscious thing we're all breathing so we assume yeah everything's fine on that front but actually uh all the ways that we hold and brace and grip you know uh in in an effort to protect ourselves and to stay safe and to try and be what we think the other person needs from us those are all happening unconsciously and it's happening in our bodies too including uh, don't take a full breath because a lot of a lot of things start happening when we take a full breath we begin to be returned to our body to feel our feelings to uh, experience need Mm -hmm. uh, which we have needs that we've tried to bury for a long time. Um, yeah. uh, breath begins to uh, connect us, connects us to a wider world and all that is new.
1: So let me ask you this. I know that you are doing more in-person sessions now, but during the COVID online era, like how did you work breath work in to those sessions?
2: You know, Sarah. Mostly, I didn't. Uh, I was so miserable, (laughs) (laughs) and I fought Zoom, and inside myself, I fought Zoom so hard. I was like, "Oh, this is just—I've been stripped of all that I that I count on to help people." You know, and all we had was. Televised images of ourselves, (laughs) and and I and but the other part of that was I saw that things could happen even doing this right. There was the intimacy happened over Zoom. I didn't care for it at first, but of course I began to value value it because I was uh, lonely myself. And so I valued Zoom in that way. But then I began to see uh, it's what we had. And the need in everyone that I talked to was so great. Right. So even that, I think the need transcended the medium in many ways. But what I did switch to was I know that I know some people are doing like breath work uh, through Zoom, but I, haven't. I just feel like I want to be there with the person for what happens. There are plenty of breath practices, of course, we can do our own, on our own. But what I did with Zoom was like still keep the focus on the body, asking questions about the body. What's what's it like in your body right now? Uh, what do you notice? Uh, Where is where's the energy flowing? Where is the tension? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those kinds of questions that lead us back to our body. Uh, it, it, I don't, I think the breath and dance and yoga and all the arts that allow that uh, embodied expression are so crucial to what we do. But um, just uh, having someone be with us. And being interested in what's going on in our body is, uh, is healing. And it's, uh, the feeling the person knows and cares that I exist. I exist is a, is a question for, uh, someone who has those, uh, attachment and birth kind of wounds. Mm
3: hmm.
1: Yeah, I do that too. I do a lot of like, let's meditate together. Let's breathe together. Like, let's check in and just kind of the beginning of the session or at the end or in the middle, just like, let's not fly off into our heads because that's not that helpful. Yeah, really. And I was um, using energy work combined with therapy for a while, but COVID kind of shut that down and I haven't really brought it Brought it back, but like you said, I, um, it does translate pretty well over Zoom. Um, if the you're energy
3: thinking, part does.
1: Yeah, well, the the breath part and the energy part. I do a little of a little of both, but I think about mm-hmm. mainly as mindfulness and.
2: Right. Um, yeah, that's an important distinction, you know, because uh, grounding, you know, a call that particular wound, uh, like earth seeking and grounding is a big part of that. You know, this sense of, uh, I am here, I exist, I'm in this place, I have a place to stand. And so, like you're saying, guided breath is grounding because uh, it takes us to body awareness these other kinds of breath work, they're grounding, but they're also uh, when you're doing uh, the kind of breath that is uh, more intense and sustained, that's a kind of breath that's designed to loosen the boundaries so that more uh, more of the unprocessed work can come up, more of the unknown, more of the unconscious, more of the, Feeling self and the body sensations. So, two different uses for breath.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I have actually referred people to breath work in the past since it's not something that I actually offer, but uh-huh. um, hoping for an integration of some kind.
3: Right, right.
1: With that. But um,
3: hmm.
1: is there anything else you want to say about
3: that? Mm -hmm.
2: I'll say just a little bit about my own... Entering into uh, my own body. Like um, breath work. I got introduced to breath work, I guess, in my early 20s. And, uh, And it let me know how disconnected from myself that I was. I didn't know I was disconnected from myself. I didn't... Sarah, I don't know if I knew there was a self to be disconnected from. Mm-hmm. But the breath work gave me a sense of my body and a sense of a different way of feeling. I mean, just things like grieving uh, uh, from my whole body or uh, feeling great pleasure in my body or just feeling relaxed depths of relaxation that I didn't even know were possible. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just going along in my regular unconsciously tense way and calling that relaxation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then when the body releases, when the body gets invited and gets a chance to release, oh, I've been so tense. I've been so, held and scared, oh, I can I can uh, relax at levels I never imagined. Mm -hmm. And talk about, you know, you're talking about, oh, this is too simple. Uh, (laughs) Relaxation sounds so simple. But the kind of relaxation we're talking about is not lying down on the sofa, you know, and and uh, getting ready for a nap, it's a a release uh, at the the core levels uh, so that we're not having to fight ourselves, fight our feelings, fight our needs, uh, fight anybody finding out that we feel these things or need these things. And that's a different type of relaxation.
1: Right. That's freedom.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like, I've been seen, I'm vulnerable. There's nothing to hide. There's not hiding anything um, from myself.
2: Right, not hiding from myself. And if I hide, I, I'm aware I'm choosing. I may choose to do that. It's not a, a wrong thing, uh, but I'm I'm making choices rather than uh, my my fear is deciding for me or some other feelings are deciding for me.
1: Yeah, and I think before having that experience, there may be a tendency to, to try to get that through other people, like get that freedom through somebody else without having it first yourself. And so then you create something quite dysfunctional because that person actually can't give it to you Um, And they're probably looking for it for themselves. And so there's a misplaced um, demand (laughs) happening in both directions.
2: Sarah, I don't think I'm making this up. I think I'm remembering a time when you said to me very directly, I am mad at you that you can't do this for me.
1: (laughs) I'm sure I, I don't remember it, but I don't doubt it at all.
2: It touched me so deep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think what's under that is like, actually, you were holding me, and I didn't want to feel that, you know? I didn't want to feel the safety of that and yeah. the, the vulnerability of not having been held in the past.
2: Yeah, you know. Speaking of that, there's a guy this this past week uh, who we were we were doing some work, and he had said something that I just kind of reflected and affirmed to him, and he said, uh, "I hate that I'm beginning to trust you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna beat you up." <laughs>
2: just really honest and just, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, when we begin to feel that trust, we feel that being called out to be more of ourselves. And it's, it's a challenging thing.
1: Well, Kenneth, along those lines, I fell in love with you in the beginning of our work. I was like head over heels, you know, like insane. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't thinking rationally. And, and I remember bringing that to you saying like, this is happening. Like, I don't know what to do. And you were just very calm. Like you didn't push it away, but you were like neutral, you know? And, but but loving and compassionate and it was again like i can bring that i can bring whatever and it 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 wasn't that embarrassing because you were just like huh (laughs) (laughs) and i i needed to go through that falling in love process and not have that be pushed away or judged and then it was like okay i'm safe to like be attached to this person yeah
2: so glad you brought that. I mean, brought that up. I mean, that is such a vulnerable thing, you know, for you to bring this in love feeling, which is like we all know that's an out of control feeling like we are not we're not calling all the shots at yeah. that point. And that's also the place where it's so important that we not be taken advantage of in that moment of that kind of vulnerability and that wide open outpouring of love, right? And to just let that be there without it being exploited or used. The mm-hmm. key moment.
1: Yeah. A key
2: moment that can last for, you know, days, weeks, months, but key
1: so, I don't know if that is characteristic of, of schizoid earth seeker types, but that I have a strong tendency to, to fall in love like that, you know, and I, I needed it held safely. I needed it treated with, with so much um, safety. Yeah. And so, yeah, just thank you for that.
2: <laughs> very grateful to be in it with you. And I will say uh, about the thing I wanted to say about that, too, was uh, your life force. You know, one of the things with the earth-seeking type is when the life force is met with harshness or rejection or whatever, we pull our life force in really back toward our core to try and protect it. Right, and then here is this moment where you're beginning to trust, and it's like, then that's life force, and you've got a lot of it. (laughs) You know, it is opening and and coming to the surface and coming out. You know, and that's like birth. That's like uh, being born anew uh, after after a deep contraction. And to just let that be and let that flow and to have the pleasures of your own life force.
3: Right.
2: Not to say that being in love isn't also miserable in its way, but it has has its pleasures, too. And one of them is that intensity of self, right? That I can love this much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure, no it 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 is it was miserable too because you know of course you weren't going to reciprocate it so I had to eventually <laughs> accept that but that was important and healthy um yeah I mean that that professional boundary was everything there too yeah. you know so it was part of my growth yeah to see like you said I can feel this much love. And it's not going to just blow me out of the water, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe I'm still sitting with that.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those places where you talked earlier about the mutuality and, you know, you're, when we're sitting together in psychotherapy, It's we're both humans doing our own work toward our own liberation. And then there's the part where, there is that difference, where as a psychotherapist, it is my part to help be uh, create a container that can hold intense feeling, and that's part of the agreement of psychotherapy
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to to be able to offer that, so that you can have uh, feelings that intense and find your way with it to know, okay, I can work with this, like you're saying, I can have this kind of power
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: not be overwhelmed by it. I can learn to not be overwhelmed by it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, And again, it's just part of like that validation that I feel like I can pass on to others of like really anything goes like, Anything is okay. (laughs) There's nothing off the table here. Um, Yeah. Wanting people to have their full range. So.
2: I appreciate that you are passing that on.
1: Yeah, I mean including feeling like very suicidal for the year leading up to our work together. It's like, okay, that's okay too. You know, like that's part of it. So this range of where we can go um, and have it be okay, I think is so important.
2: Um, And the importance of uh, growing and learning through your own experience and then when you're sitting with someone who's talking about, uh, I'm having suicidal thoughts that you've been there. You know what that is, and you know what it is to go beyond that. And so uh, that authority is already there inside you. It's you're not you're not having to make it up. It's already there.
1: Yep. Yeah and it's a relief not to be there <laughs> to say
2: that's right and uh, and you also have the authority of that hope because you know what it is to not be there
1: and we could go into another hour talking about dissolving of the ego but that's probably a completely different subject um, <laughs> but interesting
2: yes we'll give that its due another time <laughs>
1: But this has been really fun. And um, maybe i'll I'll end the recording and then we can talk just a little bit more. that was good. Okay.